Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with Reverend Dr. James E. Victor, Jr., pastor of Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. We're thrilled to welcome Dr. James Victor, the pastor of the Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia, to be a conversation partner on the Lot Carey Pilgrimage of Striving and Thriving podcast. Welcome, Dr. Victor, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Goatley, my friend. Glad to be with you. You've been a part of uh, being a mentor in a community of 50 pastors that have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumption is that every round does not go higher and higher. We believe that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving, and that flourishing in ministry can sometimes be understood like a tree. There may be leaves, other times there are blossoms, Sometimes the leaves are falling away and at other times there are only branches. Still, the tree can be healthy and thriving. There are many ways to think about flourishing in ministry. So can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? I would say that flourishing for me right now is what our church is doing in this period of pandemic. We are, the pandemic has been, of course, a burden on all of us, but in many respects, it's also been a blessing. Um, our, our church has become innovative out of necessity, um, but it is, it is doing the things that it needs to do uh, in order to perform ministry. Um, we are responding to the needs in our community as best we can with the resources that we have at our disposal. And we are also 
um, seeing some spiritual growth in our people. So in some respects, the pandemic has been a catalyst for us. Uh, and we are, I think, growing in the crucible of crisis um, in ways that I don't know that we as a congregation would have grown had we not been forced into um, this climate and this environment. Well, you used an interesting phrase about a crucible of crisis. And so it sounds like for you, flourishing in ministry can proceed out of pressure. Uh, sometimes people seem to feel like uh, the, the ground has to be level and things have to be uh, conducive to flourish without stress or distress. But it sounds like to me, you're witnessing something different. I, I would agree. I think that what you described is um, maybe an exaggerated idealism. I think all of us come to, to ministry with some sort of, of trial, trouble, some, some challenge that requires the best of us and that forces us to grow and to adapt. Um, I, I don't know that any of us ever come to a point where things are just perfect in ministry. We, we deal with people. And, and as I like to tell um, my preachers when I train them and, and my deacons also when I prepare them for the diaconate, ministry is messy. It's unavoidable. It's, it's intrinsic to the, to the very uh, nature of the task. You're not going to get out of this without some scars, without some, some muddiness on your hands. You're going to get dirty doing ministry. That is if you're doing it and doing it well and doing it authentically. So I, I would agree that that pressure is in some respects um, a part of the formula for thriving. Um, and, it, and it's entailed in, in the formula that we've been working with, striving. You know, you, you, you got to put some work in it. You know, Paul talks about our press toward the mark of the high calling. Um, so I, I think you're right that, that we, we are seeing in this particular time, a, a, at least for my church, a growth that we would not have ordinarily seen. Speaking of formula, uh, we've been talking about in our um, pilgrimage of striving and thriving, a formula for flourishing, which holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus the service context yields ministry content, there is a higher probability for flourishing. We don't assume that you can just drag and drop ministry and that it will work well. So can you talk a little bit about how your context of service is related to your content of ministry? Sure. Well, in terms of my context, Arlington, Virginia is just outside the nation's capital, which is a perch to see the whole world. 
Um, the world comes to our doorstep, and of course, we are catapulted um, to the very far reaches of the globe. And so one of the things that has taken place for us is that that context has required us to move from beyond just being a mere community church to responding to needs around the world. And so we, we I like to think we, we try to meet the needs of our immediate community, but also we try to live out the biblical mandate that we should be witnesses in the uttermost parts of the world. And so we've done, uh, through Lot Carey, a number of projects in Haiti and, and other places. And so we're trying to live out that, that the mandate of the gospel, not just in Arlington. Um, that's too myopic. But we're trying to embrace the, uh, the totality of what's possible. And, and often that's a balancing act because there are times when we'll raise money as we did to, to build a school in Haiti. And then I hear people say, well, what are we going to do for seniors? And that they, they create, I think, in some respects, a false dichotomy, which is not necessary. We, we can respond to both our seniors and also our brothers and sisters in Haiti. And so we, it's, 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 I like to think again, it's, it's a dialectic, it's a creative tension in the polarities that force us to just move beyond, as we used to say years ago, the sacred walls or the four walls of the church. Well, some years ago, uh, you were on staff at the historic Ebenezer Church in uh, Atlanta, I think, uh, with uh, Dr. Roberts was the Joe man. Roberts, yes. And so as you reflect on, as you think about some of that uh, in that con uh, context of Atlanta and the historic Ebenezer Church, can you think of an example perhaps of, the, of ministry when you were there those years ago? of how a content of ministry was related to that context? Absolutely. One of the things that I learned and observed from Dr. Roberts was because Ebenezer was always under global scrutiny, he had to address global concerns. He could not just confine his preaching to events or current events in Atlanta. Because on any given Sunday, we, we would have, well, I, in the old church, we limited the number of visitors to, I think, 300. And because you would have people that would come to worship on any given Sunday from any place around the world, Doc had to be able to to be an effective communicator of the gospel, he had to preach to those issues too. So, you know, he would talk about AIDS um, in the old fourth ward of Atlanta, where the church was located. So he could talk about AIDS and how we should respond to AIDS in the fourth ward, 
but then he also might have dissidents from Myanmar and he had to be able to preach to them as well because the church attracted that kind of congregation on a weekly basis. I mean, you know, we, you, you might come out in your robe and Jurgen Mutman would be in the pew one Sunday. The next Sunday, the president of Nigeria would be there. The following Sunday, you'd have Grammy award-winning artists. And so when a church has that kind of global impact, it has to have a global way of communicating and having, I think, a handle on global issues. And so the, the context of that church being the epicenter of Black prophetic witness, not just for America, but for the world, he had to address the world. And at the same time, because of where Ebenezer was located as an inner city congregation, it had to deal with drug dealers, people who were in the clutches of poverty. Um, so it had to be expansive because it drew a diverse crowd in every sense of the word. The context demanded that we couldn't just be a church stuck on the corner of Auburn uh, and Jackson Avenues. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. James E. Victor, Jr., pastor of Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. Can you say a word about what flourishing in ministry for a pastor may mean in relationship to nurturing another generation of leaders? 
I, I think that that's critical. When I look back over my own formation and I talk with some of my colleagues who were not blessed to come from a family of ministry, as you and I do, we, we got an inside scoop because we were closely connected with ministers who were good pastors, advocates for the community. And so that's formative. Uh, and, and I tell people all the time, my grandfather would take me on the back porch after I was licensed and called because he always projected that I was going to be a preacher from the time I was eight years old. And I denied it vehemently and passionately. Uh, but he, once I got licensed and acknowledged my calling, um, I had a formal theological education and I had an informal theological education. And I think that was instructive to me because when I started pastoring, I was aware of some of the rookie mistakes and I didn't make them um, and have been sensitive to that. And I think that it's imperative that those of us who have some gray hairs now, who are starting to get some gray hairs, and who are, again, maturing in ministry, not only chronologically, but also spiritually, take others under our wings so that the traditions of our church, um, the, the reason of the church's existence um, are not lost. And also just simply, it helps us as we mature so that our, our perspectives are not so parochial and provincial and and bound by time so that we can continue to grow you know that there, there is a, a symbiotic nature to to elijah and elisha and paul and silas um and then i think there's just again watching older preachers as they age there's a practical aspect of it, at least I'm hoping, because when I first started preaching the Reverend Charles Brown, who pastored the Second Baptist Church of Cadiz, Kentucky, would always say, son, there are three periods in every preacher's life. There's a time when you can't get a preaching engagement because nobody knows you. There's a time when everybody wants to hear you. And then there's a time in the sunset of life where everybody wants you to go sit down. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, as you, I, I watched my grandfather as he aged. And even though he was in his 80s, he had preaching engagements almost every Sunday after he retired because he had invested in other who were at the time young preachers, they wanted to reciprocate and show that gratitude. So they put the old man up. So it's, it's, it's a, there's a symbiotic uh, reciprocal kind of dynamic. As we help younger preachers, then hopefully they'll remember us when we get to that point where Charles Brown said, nobody wants to hear you and wants you to go sit down. Um, but I also think there's, there's something to, of value to be learned from both parties. I know I've learned from the young brothers that I have in my group, uh, particularly in this period, 
where I'm not the most tech savvy person in the world, but every time I talk with them, they got a new app, they got a new um, platform. And in some respects, we've taken those and incorporated them in, in our offering at church. So, you know, I'm learning from them. Hopefully they're learning something from me as we go along on the journey. I think the journey metaphor is, uh, is a good metaphor for what we're doing. We're walking together. Can you say a word about something of your capacity and how your capacity informs uh, your content of ministry? Being formed the way I was formed and where I was formed. I had the tendency early on and can even go there now to have a real narrow view of things. Not so much dogmatic, but I can be insistent on what I see. And one of the ways that I have tried to expand myself is by being intentional of developing uh, reading regiments. And I try to read as broad of content as possible. And also listening. I've tried to develop the capacity of listening which then informs my content because I try. I'm not always successful, Lord knows, but I try not to come at things from such a dogmatic perspective or a narrow parochialism, but an, a vantage point that is broader. Because again, I live in na near the nation's capital. There are all kinds of people in the nation's capital. And that doesn't mean I forsake who I am authentically, but it does mean that I have to listen to hear other points of view. Um, it doesn't mean that, I, that those points of view are beyond critique, but it does mean I have to be aware of them in processing information and forming ideas and so for me that's that's one of the ways that that takes shape in in the context of, of my ministering and gives content um i was sharing with a colleague of mine who just recently uh, moved to the area that when i first came here from ebenezer um you know church rich in prophetic dialogue and witness the best of the intellectual tradition of the black church. I came here shortly after um, the bombing of the Pentagon of 9-11 and we had started a war. And I remember that I dared to speak about war and give what I thought was at least somewhat of a Christian perspective. But I forgot that I was literally within the shadow of the Pentagon. And when I started preaching that day, there was total silence. And I didn't realize that many of the people that I was preaching to were in some way still connected to the Pentagon, either employed, contractual uh, workers, um, I even had a general or two at the time. So 
for me to to broach a subject like that, I probably didn't do it in the best way because I wasn't sensitive to my context. Now, that doesn't mean I won't preach about war, but I have to do it in a different way, if that makes any sense. So that, that does, my context does inform my content because I have to be aware of my surroundings. So in your time as being a pastor, what brings you the most joy as a pastor? For me, seeing people grow to the point that they recognize their calling in life and ministry. I get a kick out of that, especially preachers. I love training preachers. I love working with preachers. Um, I, I think that it is a part of my, my spiritual heritage. My grandfather did that. As back in the 30s and 40s, um, he was a graduate of Simmons Bible College, as you are aware. And, um, but he would have young preachers come and in the basement of the church, when they couldn't go to school, he, would, he went to school and would bring school to them. And he always had some young preachers around him. Um, and so, I, I, I love to see folks wrestle with their call, come and settle that calling, and then be trained for it, and then go and do what they do, and, and who they've been called to, to be in God. And not just preachers, but other parishioners as well. It, it's a joy to see that God is still moving in the church, and I don't mean just Mount Olive, but the church. God is still raising up servants. God is still prompting people um, to hear his voice and to do the work that they were designed and called and birthed to do. And to have a small part in that um, is, is rewarding. What's the best advice you received about pastoral leadership? I think for me, it's two tenets that form for me a framework. One I learned from Joe Roberts and the other one, and I'm not saying this to stroke your ego, I learned from you. Thank you, I think. <laughs> the first thing I learned from Joe Roberts was always put yourself in a win-win position. The other thing that I do when, when making decisions and engaged in ministry, this I learned from you, is always intensify your impact. Whatever resources you have at your disposal, use them as a good steward and wisely to, to make the most of whatever it is you're doing. That guides me, and that's one of the things I constantly I keep before my staff, whatever we're going to do, how do we intensify our impact? What is the goal that we want to achieve? And then how do we optimize that so that the blossoms spread even further? So for somebody who's listening to you today, what advice would you like to give to a listener about what he or she 
or they can do to flourish in ministry? I think if we keep our conversation within the construct of striving and thriving, prepare for the droughts because they're inevitable in ministry. You're not going to always have the highs. You're not going to always have lows. It's easy to, to succeed, to exist when things are green. But when the leaves fall off and you've got to rake them and dispose of them and the alpine winds of winter are coming, prepare for that. I, I liken it unto to Joseph when in Egypt. He, he, he knew that there were going to be seven years of drought uh, after seven years of prosperity. So he prepares for it. Um, I, I learned that, that lesson from Gardner Taylor in one of his texts that talked about you have to be ready for the, for the droughts. And so one of the ways that I prepare myself is, again, I talked earlier about developing a reading regimen. But my mind is always churning with ideas, with thoughts. In my daily reading of scripture, I get sermon ideas. And one of the things that I've done for years is I have what's called a big book of ideas. Now, it's not that the ideas are big, but the book itself is big. <laughs> but I, I record all of my inspirations in the book in some way or another, if it's a sermon, uh, if it's a book idea, if it's an article idea, if it's a ministry proposal or, or proposition, I write all of that down while I can capture the in inspiration and, and get as much information in the inspiration as possible. So that when there are days when I just don't feel like preaching this Sunday, or I don't know what the next sermon series is going to be. Then I can go back to my, my big book of ideas. And usually there's something there that, that can spark the flames again. So that I'm not totally bereft of some spiritual vitality and intellectual creativity and just witness. So, so I keep, I keep, I prepare for those seasons. Um, you know, of course you gotta pray your way out of those seasons, but it helps if I can, can go back and get something from when the time was, was rich and the streams were flowing. We've been joined today by Dr. James E. Victor Jr. He's the lead pastor at the Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. Thank you, Dr. Victor, for sharing time and wisdom with us today. Thank you, Dr. Goldley, for having me, and it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. 
Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Thank you.